Last Sunday when I was here, I wore a mask because Saturday I started not feeling well. And several of us from the, the, the Wednesday night Bible study <clears throat> ended up with some of the same stuff, I think. We all kind of got that upper respiratory. And then um, about Wednesday after Bible study, I started losing my voice. Actually, I think I lost it before that. So just to let you know, it's been a very peaceful week for Sarah since I, since I lost my voice. <laughs> but um, it's coming back. So, but anyway, I just, um, I want to begin this morning with a, just to thank you for your prayers, and you know we we need to continue to be praying for our congregation. You know that we would uh, get on the mend, be a little bit healthier. You know, and and we're really starting into the season, so so this is a good way to start the season off. You know, so we really need to we really need to be um, praying for everybody um, that that we would try to remain healthy, and and to be honest with you, as much as I don't want to see this happen. But if you're not feeling well, the best thing you can do is stay home. Um, you know, and, that, and, and we don't want you to do that, but you, you really need to do that um, so that no one else can get what you have. And, and so, you know, we just really appreciate you doing that if you, if you would. Um, but I wanted to begin this morning with um, <clears throat> sharing a story with you here. I don't know if you are like me, but I... The cartoon scene created by Charles Schultz is probably one of the most familiar ones in American history. I love Charlie Brown. And I love Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, I, every year, we, you know, we'd probably, I'd probably see it, you know, because it's on several times during the year. But I, but I like it. Charlie Brown and Lucy are engaged in a conversation and for those of you who have watched it, you, you get the picture here. Because Lucy's back is turned, her arms are folded, and she has this look of disgust, absolute disgust on her face, okay? So, so Charlie is there, and he's pleading as usual, you know, Charlie, he's always doing that, for her to be tolerant and to be understanding. And with these outstretched arms, he says this to her, he says, he says, Lucy... You must be loving. <laughs> the world really needs love. You, you have to let yourself love to make this world a better place in which to live. So that was pretty good advice, wasn't it, from Charlie Brown to Lucy. Lucy turns around and, of course, she starts to scream. And you know that, that backflip that Charlie Brown does when he lands, you know, and, and he, he flips backwards and she looks at him and she says, you blockhead. You can hear her saying that, you blockhead. The world I love, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> and boy, is there some truth in that. You know, I guess in, in some ways we'll smile at that. Not because it is an unreal, uh, un, unrealistic cartoon, but because that's very true. I mean, it is absolutely true. You know, there, there is nothing quite like people problems, is there? You know, we all have them. We, we're all faced with them. You, you can have a job that demands long hours and, and great physical effort, 
but, but neither the hours nor the energy drain you as much as problems with difficult people do. It, it does. It drains you a lot. You can have financial difficulties. You can have physical pain. You can have a tight schedule. You can drive miles and miles to work, whatever you want to do. But these things are not the cause of major battles. It's people. As Lucy said, it's people. The world I can love, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> you know, the frustration and the toil of difficult people is quite an assignment. I'm going to tell you that. It's quite an assignment. You know, I was looking at some quotes about difficult people. And I want to just share, I want to share a couple of those with you. <laughs> the first one is, being agreeable doesn't make difficult people less difficult. Isn't that true? Second one here is, everyone has met the most difficult person in the world before. They just don't look in the mirror very often. <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. You know, God doesn't always bring the people into your life that you want. Instead, what he does is he gives you the people you need, people to, that teach you, people that hurt you, people that love you, people that, that make you into the person that you are meant to be for his sake. I like this one here. This mom is holding her child who's being very difficult. And maybe those of you who have held children understand what I'm saying here. And she says to this child, she says, you are making it difficult for me to be the parent that I always imagined that I would be. <laughs> I like that one. And then the last one I have here is, is that I am thankful for difficult people that I've met because they have shown me exactly who I don't want to be. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, sometimes we do. <laughs> So the song that we're going to look at this week, you know, this is our fifth um, message in the book of Psalms. Of course, we spent two weeks on the book of, um, or the uh, 23rd Psalm, which I learned so much from that, you know, and it's a really great psalm. But the song that we're going to look at this week um, is helping us to live beyond people problems. It's going to help us to do that. You know, it gives us some very practical advice on how to respond to people, anxieties, difficult people, you know, and so, you know, problems brought into our lives because of other members of the human race who are just as ornery as you are. <laughs> when I think of an ornery person, you know who the first person is that I think about? I think of Margie. <laughs> Mar you, wait till you get to know her. <laughs> She's funny, but she's Audrey, man. She's just she's she's, yeah. she's just like me. Um, so I want you to join me as we read again. We've already read it this morning. I want to, I want you to join me as we read again here. <clears throat> it says it says for the director of music with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, when the Zippites had gone to Saul and said. Is not David hiding among us? So that's the superscription there. So here's what it says in, in, in Psalm 54. It says, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. And then you'll notice there it says, Selah. 
And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Surely God is my help, and the Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your, your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from my troubles, all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. <clears throat> so, if you look at the superscription there, we see right off the bat from this psalm that David is the one who wrote this. It says it right there. We also learn that it is a maskal. Uh, the word maskal means to give instruction or to give insight in dealing with a certain situation. And in this case, the situation that, that David is facing here is it, it's with it's problems with people, and the historical setting is found in First Samuel chapter twenty three verses fourteen through twenty six. That's what this psalm is written for that situation there when David was facing that situation where David was being hunted by King Saul. If you remember that, he was hunted for a, for a long time by King Saul, who was extremely jealous of David. <clears throat> and so David, David's hiding place is a bleak and rugged, you know, and, and his life is in danger. And so he tries to find a place of safety. And it seems like every place that he goes, it seems like it backfires on him. And this is, in, again, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 26. So if you want to look up it later, you can, because I'm not going to read the scripture. But it seems like everything backfires. And so he gets to a spot called the, the, hill, the, the hill of um, Halicha. And, and, and there he, 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 he thinks that he's safe. And it's the, the Zippites. How would you like to be known as a, a Zippite? Hi, I'm, I'm from the tribe of the Zippites. So it's the Zippites' territory, and and so so far as as far as he can tell, you know he's he's found a neutral ground, a place that he can rest and a place that he can sleep from the constant hunting by King Saul. But you know what? There was no rest to be found there in that passage of scripture, because see the Zippites turn against him. And they end up reporting his whereabouts to King Saul. And so it, 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 the chase is on again. And so David then goes to this, this place called the Wilderness of Moan, uh, but finds himself surrounded by the Zippites and, and, and Saul's soldiers again. And so it, it doesn't matter where he goes, he's always being found out. And I can just picture David here. You know, he, he's dirty, he's sweaty. You know, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's exhausted, and no doubt he's probably extremely discouraged. Probably extremely discouraged. And so he slumps down beside this leafy bush or beneath the rock, the shadow of a rock, to escape the rays of the, the Palestinian sun, man. It, it had to be extremely hot. I'm, I'm guessing probably in the, in well over 100 degrees. And so, and he begins to write his feelings in poetic form. And honestly, for me, that would be the last thing that I would want to be doing. <laughs> if I'm being chased because I want to, uh, the, someone wants to kill me, I'm not going to say, oh, I got this poem going through my head. Oh, let me think. I got to stop here. Okay, I'm going to stop here. Let me see. I, I got to write this down or I'll forget it. <laughs> you know? That's going to be the last thing, not me. I'm not going to do that. He has been attacked. 
He has been let down by people, but now he is led by the Holy Spirit to record his feelings. And those expressions are what we have today called Psalm 54. It's a good thing he was willing to do that. Not me, man. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be hauling mail. I'd, I'd be gone. <clears throat> but not David. So the, the first three verses of this prayer of David's are on the emphasis of the enemy. And then he's, the spotlight turns to the defender of David in the next two verses. In the last two verses, so there's a total of seven verses in this passage, talk about the praise as the defender, or David himself, um, becomes the subject of the interest. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to look at these first three verses here. Notice what it says there again in Psalm 54, verses 1 and 2. It says, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might, by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Listen to me. You know, verses 1 and 2 in the Hebrew begin... They begin differently than in our English version. Uh, literally, they read, Oh God, save me. Oh God, vindicate me. Oh God, hear my prayer. That's what, that's what it is. Normally, the verb appears first in the Hebrew sentence. But in this case, <clears throat> it is, Oh God, save me. Oh God, hear, hear my prayers. Oh God, you know, vindicate me. So by rearranging the, the normal word order, what happens here is the emphasis is where it should be. And where is that? On God, exactly. The emphasis is on God. And shouldn't that be where it's at? The emphasis should be on God. The emphasis is, is strengthened by the, the repetition of, of David saying, Oh God, oh Lord, vindicate me, help me. What we discover immediately is that David gives us a perfect example of what to do when we find ourselves under attack by people. What's the first thing we do? The first thing we need to do is pray. Pray. Don't wait. <clears throat> Ask for his strength. Ask for his stability. Normally, what happens is we pray last, don't we? You know, we usually want to fight back. We want to retaliate or, or develop a resentment for those who make life miserable for us. That I know that's the way I am. And if you're not, okay, well, that's great. But that's, you know, but what we need to be doing first is we need to be praying. We need to be praying. How many of you know what an, a new is? It's a type of animal. Does anyone know what a new is? Okay, some of you are shaking your head yes. Anu is a, is a uh, in, in the Palestinian area, would have been a type of wildebeest. This is interesting. This, this animal has a curious habit when it is being hunted or when it is being cornered. What it does is it kneels down on its forelegs and it remains completely silent, almost as if it's in prayer. <clears throat> That's pretty interesting, I think. David was the human version of a new. And guess what? We need to be the same. When we are faced with the enemy, when we are being chased, when we are being hunted, when we have difficult people breathing down our neck, 
the first thing we need to do is pray. I think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. The only way that we can do that is if we pause and we, 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 we bow down and we, we pray, be still. So look at, look at Psalm 54, 1 and 2 again. <clears throat> Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Observe that, that David requests deliverance and vindication on the basis of two things. Notice that right there. He, he, he asks for vindication and deliverance based upon two things. That is God's name and God's power. Notice that, save me, O God, by your name. Save me, O God, by your mighty power, by your mighty strength. Two things there, God's name and God's power. Throughout the Old Testament, God is called at least 12 different names. Did you know that? Each name, is, it signifies a particular aspect of his character. That's what it does. So David called to mind God's attributes. And he also called upon his power and his omnipotent. We all know our need for strength. When people have hurt us or disappointed us, don't we? We, we have to have that. You know, God's presence and strength are two things that we cannot do without when enduring difficult people or difficult conflicts or difficult circumstances. We have to have that. That is our hope. That is our hope. David specifies his problem. Notice what it says there in verse 3 again. Look at verse 3. He specifies his problem. He says, strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. That's what he tells us. The, enemy, the enemies are described in two ways. They're the strangers and they're the ruthless or violent men. That, that, those are the two people that he's talking about there. <clears throat> the first name refers to the Zippites, and no doubt the other refers to Saul and his soldiers, who were, you know, the Zippites were always pointing him out, and the soldiers were always chasing him. The term stranger comes from a term that means to scatter or disperse. And when it's used in the Old Testament for investigating a matter, searching out or tracing someone like spies do, that's what the Zippites were. The Zippites became spies for Saul. <clears throat> they, were, they were dispersed throughout the land, you know, searching for David and, and, and telling David where, you're telling Saul where David was. You know, okay, it reminded me, Okay, I'm going to be strange here, and I'm going to go off track here a little bit, but it reminded me when I was writing this sermon out, it reminded me of that scene in John Wick Part 2. Anybody watch that movie, John Wick Part 2? Okay, well, I've seen it. And in this, in this movie, John Wick has been excommunicated, excommuniato from the continental grounds, and now he has to pay a price. A price is on his head, and people are out to kill him. And so he sits there, and he looks up, and he says, Tell them. Tell them all. Whoever comes, whoever it is, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. 
And it made me think about David. Tell those Zippites. Tell them all. Whoever comes, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. David really didn't say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? But, but that's, it kind of makes me think that because no matter where he went, they were there. They were pointing him out so that Saul's men could, could, could trap him, could capture him, could kill him. I mentioned all this because I may be speaking to someone who is as innocent as David was, who has been put through the ringer because of false accusations, because of of being spied upon, or is having their reputation destroyed by someone who could care less about you. They don't care about their actions. All they care about is what prospers them. And it's, it's so much worse when the enemy is one whom you once trusted as a friend. That makes it even more difficult. Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt when Judas turned against him? What's amazing about this is that we have friends who fully understand our experiences. In fact, Jesus completely understands. He sympathizes with our feelings. The writer of Hebrews says that we have this high priest. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we, it says we have this high priest who, who understands our feelings because he's been through it all. He knows exactly what we feel. And so we can trust him. So, so David states that they did not have God set before them, these, these people that he's talking about. God was not in their thinking. He was not one, you know, he, he was he was not the one responsible for their actions. Their their insidious super, or their suspicions were not prompted by the Lord, which which brings up a very practical point here that I want to make. When people turn against you and you are in the right, it is somewhat like being kicked by a mule. You know, it's best that you just consider the source. <laughs> It is. You were you were kicked by a creature whose nature it is to kick. That's what it is. You know, wh- why do the heathens rage, the psalmist says. Well, the simple answer is, is because they're heathens. <clears throat> so when you're wrongly treated, consider the source. They have not set before them the Lord. He does not energize their actions. And this happens in the church as well as in the world, folks. It really does. Just remember that God is for you. Who is going to stand against you? Amen. Before moving on, I want you to notice in verse 3 there, it concludes with this word, Selah. Do you see that? It says Selah there. That musical sign means what? Does anybody know? What does Selah mean? It means to pause. I think, I think it's there for a reason. I, it, it means to pause. And so what we need to do is we need to do that right now. We need to pause and consider our life for a moment. <clears throat> think back through these verses and how personal they can be to you right now. And, and, and think about how God has saved you and that he will vindicate you, and that he will hear your prayers, 
And isn't it always a good thing to pause and just give God that thought, give God that, that prayer time? That's what we need to do. We need to be pausing to, to do that. And as we move on here, we come to the defender and the picture of the defender. Notice what it says there in verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. It says, in Psalm 54, verse 4, it says, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. And then he says in verse 5, Let evil recoil on those who slander me, and your faithfulness destroy them. That's what he tells us there. The first part of these verses sounds like Psalm 46.1, where we are told that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. That's what that, that verse 4 sounds like. You know, our defender brings relief. You know, the passage goes on to say, he is our sustainer. He is our sustainer. He, he, he comprises in himself the highest degree or class of helpers. He is our greatest helper in, in times of, of, of struggle, in times of frustration. He is our sustainer. And David says, if I were to call together all those who have helped me, he says, underneath would be the sustaining arms of the Lord. And, and Moses shares that. He mentions that in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, talking about the sustaining arms of the Lord. And if we have the sustaining arms of the Lord girding us up, lifting us up, what better place to be than in the arms of the Lord? Amen? And then the fifth verse promises that evil that is planned against David would return upon those who have planned it. You know what? <clears throat> Are you a firm believer in what goes around comes around? What, what do they call that? Um, karma. karma. <laughs> That's right. Karma. What goes around comes around. Well, you know, their, their wrong would backfire and God would see to it that David's integrity would win the day. You know, to picture this, I think about one of my favorite Sunday morning or Saturday morning cartoons. How many of you, and you know what, Ryan, I, I think you might have mentioned this a few weeks ago. One of my favorite cartoons is the Coyote and the Roadrunner. You ever, you ever watched it? You know, yes, that was one of my favorite cartoons. The entire cartoon revolves around a victorious Roadrunner and a very frustrated coyote who tries in vain to capture or kill that speedy little bird. Did you talk about that, Ryan? Was it you? Someone did. Someone was up here talking about it. I don't remember who it was. You know, every gadget, where did, where did the coyote buy all of his gadgets from? Acme. <laughs> that is so funny. <clears throat> and... and, and any ingenious plan that he had would always backfire against the coyote as the roadrunner inevitably would enjoy the last laugh. Without exception, the evil plan against the roadrunner ultimately returned to the coyote. <clears throat> I will have to admit this, though. There has been many thoughts in my mind about, I just wish that that coyote would catch that bird just one time. <laughs> but he never does. He never does. So it is with the believer who, who maintains his integrity while under attack by difficult people. Absolutely. The evil planned against us will return upon the attacker thanks to our defender. Thanks to our defender. 
thanks to his faithfulness, the attack will be, will be foiled. You know, it's kind of similar to what the psalmist says. If you got your Bibles, you want to just turn over a few pages to Psalm 91. This is what he says in Psalm 91, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> Maybe I'll go to 12. Psalm 91, and I'll look at verse 5. He says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. Now that's a, that's a prophecy between Saul and David. You know, David slew his, or Paul slew his thousands, David slew his tens of thousands. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You know, that, that is such a good passage of scripture. And so as you, as you look at Psalm 54, 5, it seems awfully severe, doesn't it? Look at this. Let's go back to Psalm 54 now. Look at verse 5 there. It says, Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. That's what he says. Destroy them. So when I look at that, I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty severe. Surely God won't actually destroy the enemy, will he? Will he do that? Will he? Well, if you look at the Hebrew text, this Hebrew word, which is taken from the Hebrew word, tazmeth, which literally means to exterminate. <clears throat> in fact, the verb appears in this verse carrying this literal meaning. Listen to this. It's not just destroy. It carries this meaning. To cause, to annihilate. So yeah, I think he's talking about destroying <laughs> You know, what I'm pointing out is that David is actually declaring by faith that God will cause those who have become his enemies to be totally, completely, thoroughly removed. But I remind you this one thing, and you need to keep this in mind. It's not David that does the removing. It's God who does the removing. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. It's not Bob Hart's. It's not Sarah Hart's. It's not Jamie Sowers or Margie Sowers or, or, or the Banks or anybody else's. It's God's choice. It is so easy under pressure for us to play God, isn't it? It really is. You know, we, we have thought about the temptation to take our own vengeance. But Paul tells us in Romans 12, he, said, he, he reminds us that re- revenge is mine, says the Lord. You don't need to do that. I will take care of that. All in good time. Living beyond the day-to-day struggles, the the pain of difficult people requires our our leaving the vengeance to the one who can handle it best. Because I fully believe that if we left it into the hands of some of these wives, they would destroy everything in their past. You know, or, or husbands, they would destroy everything in their past because we can't handle like God can handle it. And so we put it back into God's hands and let him handle that. 
That's what we need to do. And then the last thing here is the, the third is the, the defender praise. Look at verses 6 and 7 there. It says, I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. <clears throat> the attention shifts here again. Now the psalmist himself is David, and he, he willingly says, I, willingly I sacrifice to thee, I, I give thanks to thee, uh, I give thanks to your name, for you are good, Lord, you are, you are, you are great. You know, a, a major step in dealing with difficult people is, is taken when we can say to God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the painful experience that I'm experiencing right now. Thank you for being misused. Thank you for being misunderstood. Thank you for being spied upon. Thank you for being lied about. Thank you, Lord. You know, David finally reached that point. You know, he not only gave thanks, but he said, it is good. You know, something marvelous suddenly happened when he did that. When he, when he stopped and he did that, something marvelous happened there, guys. If you go back, and I believe, you know, between verse 6 and 7, something great happened there between there. If you go back to, to, to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 26 through 29, which was the passage that we, you know, I was talking about earlier when David was running from, from Saul and the Zippites were, kept telling him where he was. What happens is, is that they're continuing that chase, but in verses 26 through 29, what ends up happening is Saul gets a messenger that comes and says, hey, the Philistines are attacking us. And so there, his army left that scene and went back to fight the, the Philistines, which gave David a, a reprieval so that he could get away and, and not have to face Saul and his army. <clears throat> I believe that God caused that to happen. Do you see, the, the enemy actually left. Suddenly, perhaps as soon as David said, I will give thanks to thy name, O Lord, for you are good. I think that God answered his prayer right there. The enemy retreated, and, and then David said, he, for, for he has delivered me from all trouble, and my, my, my eyes have looked upon with satisfaction upon my enemies. In verse 7 there. By the way, that is a fairly good way to tell whom you would consider your enemy to be, those you cannot look eyeball to eyeball. Man, I don't know if, you've, if you have people that are like that, but to be able to look at it, it, if you hold resentment, hard resentment, unforgiveness, and hatred for someone, you will find it nearly impossible to be able to look at them in the eye for a sustained period of time without wanting to take their blocks off. <clears throat> it's just the way it is. You know, haven't you heard the expression, you know, they dislike me so much that they won't even look at me anymore. You know, I, I just had that happen to me. And it wasn't, you know, I, I don't say the person hates me, but um, we got into a, a little bit of a situation and this guy just walks right by me. The whole, the, everybody else was saying, hey, Bob, you know, he just, he just walked right by me. I, I tried to trip him, but it didn't work. No, <laughs> I didn't do that. But, but that's what happens. So, so David found no place in his heart for bitterness towards his enemy. I think that's commendable. You know, that's the way it ought to be. You know, when, when that is true, our people problems have a way of going away, don't they? they? They have a way of diminishing. And so as we close this morning, 
I'm going to share a little poem with you that I find to be rather amusing. And this is what it says. It says, To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> you know, it seems kind of strange that we all talk about glory and delight of heaven where we're all going to be surrounded by the very saints who we can't even look at or get along with here on earth. How can that be? You know, let me urge you to, to set your house in order, especially the room where you spend time with people. Spending time looking over even memorizing this psalm will help you to, to, to know these principles and will help you to, to be able to understand what, what David's trying to say here. And become second nature to you. And, and what I'm also saying is let's declare war on those ugly habits that, that we cultivate against other people. And that's not an easy task, guys. You know, neg- negative feelings and unforgiveness and, and resentment and competitiveness and grudges and, and jealousy and, and revenge and, and hatred and retaliation and gossip and criticism and suspicion. Have I missed anything? Did I miss anything? Let's leave this rugged, well-worn road forever. Let's lay that at the foot of the cross. I'm telling you, that's hard to do. So if that's the route that we're going to take, then what is the only route that, that there is to take then if we, if we leave all that behind? Isn't it the route of love? That's what it is. We, the, the longer we live, the more time we spend with the Lord and, and, and with other people. I, I'm driven to think that the, really, the true answer to our people problems is this. It's sincere, spirit-empowered, undeserved love. If we want to truly be like Christ, then we love. We have to leave that stuff behind and move on to the things that are more important. Let me end our time together with a great example of a man who, who had to deal with difficult people and how he handled himself. The perfect example, I think, is Moses. Moses was no stranger to leading a, a group of difficult people. Even after rescuing them out of slavery and leading them safely away from Egypt and the Egyptians, the Israelites were not happy with him. Do you remember? Instead, they became, they, instead of being grateful for their new freedom and, and provision from God, they were shedding tears over the menu. I don't want to eat this manna anymore. I just don't want to do that. So what does God do? Okay, he sends them quail. Well, they started complaining about that. Then they started complaining about not having water, you know, wishing that they had died in Egypt or had chosen a different leader. Even Moses' own siblings were jealous of his leadership and complained to God about their brother and his wife. <clears throat> complain, complain, complain. Yet, what amazes me about Moses is that he didn't retaliate against any of these annoying people groups. He did not retaliate. He didn't even defend himself against the harsh accusations. Instead, what he did was he demonstrated amazing humility and compassion on those he led, repeatedly interceding for them. 
God could have wiped them out at any time for the things that they were doing. Moses, I mean, he actually pled to God to heal Miriam of her leprosy. He begged God to forgive Israel's unbelief when it was time to enter the promised land. He laid prostrate, almost said prostate, (laughs) prostrate before God, fasting 40 days and nights after Aaron and the Israelites had created that golden calf to worship. He, he, He was pleading to God not to destroy them. Admittingly, there were moments when the Israelites' constant complaints drove Moses to the brink of despair, almost even to the point where he wanted to kill himself. And yet God's grace, by God's grace, he persevered. And even at the very end of his life, now get this, even at the very end of his life, he was still lovingly leading those disobedient Israelites. Absolutely. Moses remained steadfast to his last days, and he made sure that God had another leader in place to take over. You know, he didn't want his wandering sheep to be without a shepherd. Moses never stopped loving them, even at their worst. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? You know, by God's grace, we too keep loving the difficult people that God has placed in our lives because God loves us. Because we're difficult people too. And the easy thing is to cut the troublesome people out of our lives and and run or just avoid them or whatever we need to do. But I suggest that we are more like Jesus when we bear with each other and we seek to show God's love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. You're never more like Jesus when you do that. No matter how we are treated, let's treat them back the way God would want us to be treated. And I'm going to give you six quick, practical ways to show love to a difficult person that God has placed in your path. Listen to these. That'll be quick. Number one is pray for your own heart. Just pray for your own heart. Pray that God softens your heart. Number two, pray for them. Pray that God would, 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 um, would change their hearts, that he would work in their hearts. Number three, and this one's going to be a tough one, guys. Move towards them, not away from them. Every one of you today in this room can think of a difficult person that you would rather just run, run, run away from. Move towards them, not away from them. Our tendency is to steer clear of people who are difficult, but they are exactly the people that we need to be moving towards. Aren't they? That's what Jesus called us to do. Number four, find specific ways to bless and encourage them. Number five, give them grace just as God extends grace to you. And number six, realize that you too, just listen, realize that you too could be the difficult person in someone else's life. And you might not even realize it, that, that you are a thorn in the flesh for someone close to you. In all areas of our lives, may we be an extension of God's love, grace, 
mercy, and kindness. Amen? And I want to do one last thing here. Here's a gutsy idea. Mm. See, I want to be practical with you. I want to be practical here. This is a gutsy idea. Listen to this. I hope you're game for it. This week, with the right motives, do something thoughtful for someone who has made your life difficult. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that. I knew someone would. Yeah, there, there ain't no way. I could do, but, but it's a gutsy idea. But do something in the life of someone who's made life difficult for you. You, you may want to write a note or send flowers. You know, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, decide on some way to demonstrate love. Then do it. Whatever, extend the love of God, and I guarantee you guys, no matter what, God will work. He will work in mighty ways if you allow him to work. And so that's what I ask you to do. You don't have to. (laughs) It's just a gutsy suggestion. It will put Psalm 54 with feet on it. Amen?